So right now, um, I'm going to read the Bible before Jez comes up and speaks uh, to us. We're going to be, uh, he's going to be preaching from 1 John 5, verses 1 to 5. Um, so I'll just give you a moment to go there, and then I'll read it out for us. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of God. Well, good morning and welcome to everyone who's tuning in online and those who are here with us. Um, And this is our last week just as one combined service. Uh, And last week, if you are tuning in this morning because you didn't rego, couldn't get in, I'm so sorry that you couldn't be with us. It's great to have you with us online though. And last week was the first week we actually had to turn people away. I felt a little bit like, it's kind of like when when Apple brings out a new product and they deliberately undersupply it. So that like it builds kind of a bit of, you know, a bit of hype or whatever around it. So we're just building for a really big February. Um, but thank you for, for tuning in on, and serving our community in that way as well. But great to have you here and in the building as well. Thanks for masking up and being here. We will let you know as restrictions change, as we do each time, we'll let you know through the week what changes for us as a church community. So we're staying tuned to what happens there and we'll let you know as things change and, and move forward. But uh, a big welcome to everyone who's here, new, newish, those who are returning members, great to have you with us. I hope 2021 has kicked off a little better for you than for me. We started this year, and I, I probably just need to explain this, a few people have asked why well, I'm not wearing a ring. Just so you know, everything's fine between Mel and I. She's just walked in actually at that point. Uh, but last week I shared with you that while I was swimming, I kind of swam through a bunch of blue bottles, and in my frenzied panic and thrashing, I actually lost my ring. And that's the second time I've done that. So I know, pray for my wife. She's a patient woman. Um, but um, I don't know if your 2021 started with a bunch of thrashing about and panic and whatever, or if you started a little more calmly. But any which way you cut it, I think it's going to be a great year for us as a church community to press forward. Because the mission of God continues, pandemic or no pandemic, restrictions or no restrictions. We are still called to love God, to love one another, to love those who don't yet know him. And that mission continues regardless. And so this week, a couple of things to draw your mind to that are kicking off. Firstly, small groups start this week. So our communities are meeting this week. If you don't know what group you're in or whatever else it is, please let me know. We want, we want you to be there this week. We want to start strong. That's why we delayed it one week because we couldn't meet face-to-face last week, but this week we can. And so we want to make the most of that and to kick off well. Um, so please let me or Jacob know if you don't know what group you're in. And if you're tuning in online, you're new or newish and you want to connect in with a small group because really that is the way to grow, is to be in community with other Christian brothers and sisters who want to press on for Jesus, Um, we would love to have you along to newish today. And so we have space for you, even if you're tuning in online, we have space for you to come after church and join us for newish at 12.30 in the back room. Great food provided, chance to connect with some people here and find out what the next steps are in connecting up with City Light. So those are just a couple of things to draw your mind to. But we are, we're in our last week of the book of 1 John. And as Shem brought to our attention before, 
the central driving message of this passage is that if you love God, you obey Him. And in some ways that's kind of simple. But in other ways it's kind of difficult. Because we don't like the idea of obeying, do we? When you hear the word obedience, generally it tends to refer to things like obedience school, which is a school for dogs. Right? Obedience isn't something that we think rational human beings like to do. Or even think of it this way. Every week, our Premier Gladys Berejiklian has to get up and give announcements, and often what she'll say is things like, I just want to thank the people of New South Wales for their participation, for the sacrifice, for this or that. But imagine what would happen if she got up and said, I just want to thank everyone for your obedience to our commands. Just imagine how much... That, and like, Now, everyone laughs because we get it. That would be so grating. But why is it grating? It's not because it's not true. They literally have told us what to do and we did it. That's what she's commending us for. So there's nothing wrong with, with the action of it. But as Australians, we're happy to obey so long as no one brings any attention to it. Of course we have to. There are restrictions. You've got to do the stuff. You've got to wear the face mask, whatever it is. And we're okay with doing that so long as no one labels it and says you're actually obeying someone. The question would be, why is that? We have an inbuilt resistance to authority. And it doesn't come from nowhere because not every culture has this. This isn't the universal experience of every human on earth. But in our culture, in a Western culture like ours, we have an inbuilt view that I am a self-ruling being, that I am the highest authority that I have to answer to. And sure, I might join communities or be under someone else's authority for a time, but that's my choosing, and I will choose myself to be a part of any sort of authority structure or community for a time, but I'm the one who sets the terms. But what the pandemic has brought to light is that that's plainly not true. There are things out of our control. And sometimes to do good or even to live, we have to obey. We just hate this idea. And there are so many buzzwords in our culture that, that are easy to throw out, like authenticity, uh, like, like community, like all of these things. But the word obedience is not one of them. And yet one in John, in this passage that we're looking into today, he comes straight out and he says, do you know what? If you say you love God, if you love God, you will obey him. And in fact, if you don't do those two things together, they're really mutually authenticating. You can't have one without the other. But I also want to say that it's not maybe what it sounds like. That actually to obey God and to love God is to know the deepest possible joy. And so I'm going to pray that as we open God's word, we would let it confront us, but that we would hear what God is really saying to us, that we might live out what he has called us to do. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you're a good and loving God, and that you don't leave us in the dark as to how we are to live, but you love us by giving us your word and your commands. And so, Father, we pray that we would be a community who love to follow you, to obey you, knowing that you are our good and heavenly Father. And we pray all of this for the sake of your holy name. Amen. But to give you some context here, we're reading a letter by a guy called John who was a follower of Jesus, and not just any follower of Jesus. He was within the group of 12 that followed Jesus around for the three years of his ministry and life. But he was also within a smaller, almost leadership group within that group who were some of Jesus' closest friends. 
people who walked closely with Jesus. And he was, if church history is correct, the last of the disciples to die, the only one who survived who was not martyred early. And he wrote the Gospel of John, which is a a document about Jesus' life, his birth, his ministry, his teaching, his death and his resurrection. But then after that, John writes three letters to churches that he loves and then finally the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, talking about the end times and how things are going to wrap up. And so we're reading 1 John, the first of these letters, where he is urging the church to grow in love, love for God and love for one another. And in wrapping up this final section of this first letter, we read this in 1 John 1 to 5. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father, uh, sorry, and, uh, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Here John says that anyone who believes in Jesus has been born again. And if you didn't grow up in a church context or you're just visiting this this week, you might have even heard the phrase born-again Christian. And it comes from this teaching of the Bible that to follow Jesus isn't like a lifestyle choice or something that you adopt, that it's a supernatural reality. The Bible describes it as being born again. That it's not just that you changed your beliefs or you decided to make a decision to, to sort of follow how Jesus lived his life, but actually God has brought about a deep change in you, a new birth in a sense. It's so radical going from death to life that the way to describe it is as kind of like a second birth. And we, we see this description in, Gos- in John's Gospel that he, he assumes that you have read in reading this letter. And in John 1, 12 to 13, it says this, But to all who did receive him, Jesus, this is talking about, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So to be a Christian is not so much, according to John, that you chose God, but that he chose you. That the teaching of the Bible is that in sin, we reject God and cannot freely choose him, And so he has to do a new work, sending his spirit into our heart so that we might believe in Jesus, so that we might be completely changed. And so that's why he says here, whoever is born of God, who's a child of God, who's adopted into God's family, has been born again, and with that comes a new heart and new desires. And one of the ones that he keeps harping on about is this love for God and for others. That is the mark that you have actually been born again. That's why he says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. He says, part of being born again is that you were given a new heart, one that beats for God and loves God, the very thing you did not and could not do while stuck in sin. But he goes on to say that when we love God, we obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. Isn't that interesting? He says his commands are not burdensome. See, if you have sufficient authority, it is loving to make commands, isn't it? If you have sufficient authority, if you're in a position where you actually have authority, it's loving to make commands. You can think of it this way. About a week ago, we were at the beach at DY, and the reason we were there is because all the good ones were closed. And, uh, and so we ended up there because really all the ones down the North Shore were, were, were completely closed up because the swell was so massive. 
And when we went into the surf, the lifeguards were constantly making announcements over the speakers or, I don't know, whatever you call it, the bullhorn thing, whatever it is. They were constantly yelling out commands. Now, in a swell like that, what would you expect a, life, a trained, competent lifesaver to say? You wouldn't expect them to say, hey, everyone, today the swell is up, but we just want to affirm you in your own lifestyle choices that uh, whatever depth you expect to wade out in that you think would be the most authentic expression of yourself, we just want to affirm that in you. Of course, the lifeguards didn't say that. What they said was, you cannot go past your knees, and if you do, we will shut the beach. And that might sound harsh, but they don't want people to die. <laughs> it's a loving command when the swell is that significant to say to people, hey, we care about your life. Don't go out this far. It's too dangerous. It's a, it's a mercy that the beach is even open at the moment. And so if you don't, we will have to shut the beach because we care about your safety. If you're in a sufficient position of authority, it is loving to command. And in fact, it's negligent, unloving, and incompetent not to. And it's the same with God. If you're a child of God, God is your Father. He loves you. And so He tells you there are things that you are to do and not to do. And it's right and fitting for Him to do that. And it says here in this Gospel, this is His love. His commands are not burdensome. He's not got some other agenda. His commands are because He loves you and knows that you are designed to live for His glory and that is your deepest joy. And so he commands. And even as we looked at last week, if you're with us, God has so loved us that what other possible reason could he have for commanding us other than love? The logic of Romans 8 that we looked at last week was that if God did not even spare his own son, what else, what else is he holding back from you? If God has saved you not because of works done in righteousness, not because you were good enough, not because you were special or you were God-honoring enough, but saved you simply because he loves you, enough to send his son to die for you. So that now if you are in relationship with him, you are saved and you cannot be unsaved. The only possible remaining motivation to obey God is the sheer joy of it. The motivation to obey God is not, if I obey, God will accept me. But because God has accepted me and loved me, that's why I obey. That's why John says his commands are not burdensome. And so he says the way that we love God, the way that we love God and express our love for God is in heeding those commands and obeying. So the question then would be, why can it be so difficult, even for someone who loves God, who is born again of God, to sometimes obey God? Shouldn't it be the case that if we really understand this passage, it should be easy? All of us should be perfect, sinless Christians, just loving God and loving others exactly how he has designed us to. Well, it's difficult because we still wrestle with sin, but also because of what John, John says here about the world. I don't know if you saw that in the reading. Look at what it says in 1 John 5, 4-5. It says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John says, if you've been born of God, you have overcome the world. 
Now, those are quite grand terms to describe coming to Christ. It says you have overcome the world. And what does this mean? Well, John uses and builds this idea of the world throughout his letters and even through the Gospel of John in a very specific way. And he gives us a clue to what it means right at the end of this chapter in, in 1 John 5.19. Look at what it says. He says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. See, John, as we do, believes that there is a supernatural being called Satan whose one purpose is to keep people from trusting in God, to keep them from finding forgiveness and joy and life everlasting in God. And his work is to lie, to deceive, to distort the truth so that people will not trust in God but will continue in sin and face judgment. And when John describes the world here, he's, he's talking about the whole it works and effects of Satan to keep people in their sin and to keep them from believing the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why in 1 John 4, 4 he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you, the Holy Spirit working in you, is greater than he who is in the world. Satan's work is to keep you from believing in God. And so if you are someone who actually believes that Jesus is the Son of God, you have overcome all of Satan's efforts. Because the Spirit who is in you is greater and more powerful than him. A demonstration of God's victory. Just think on that for a moment as you consider the Christian brothers and sisters who you sit in this room with or who you share a small group with. That is a visible demonstration of the victory of God over his enemy. I mean, if you just considered or could see, if there was some way that we could see the size and, and scale of Satan's attempt to bring down God's people that were working against us, we would see that every day we meet and gather as Christians is a miracle of God. And John is drawing our mind to this. He's saying Satan's desire is to deceive. And in every culture, although it expresses it differently, there is a worldview set up that is opposed to the gospel. And this in many ways is why sometimes as a Christian it can be difficult to follow the clear commands of God because we live and swim in a culture that is pulling in the opposite direction, what he calls the world. And in our culture, the prevailing worldview is what you would call secularism. The belief, essentially, that everything that is to happen happens right now, that there is no life to come, that all joy, meaning and purpose that is to be found is found in the here and now and usually located in the self. And really there are three, there are three key beliefs that make up what you would call a secular worldview and all of us run into them every day in a hundred different ways whether we know it or not. One of, the, one of the key beliefs that our culture holds is that I'm an autonomous individual. I'm a self-ruling being. I'm in charge of me. I decide what my life is about and where I will find meaning. The second one is what you might call hedonism, the belief that I need to feel good right now. And the third one is humanism, the belief that I have almost limitless potential that needs to be unlocked in order for me to be happy. And these three beliefs are just part of the rhythms of what we do and participate in every day. Just think about this. The belief of individualism that I'm a self-ruling being, I'm in charge of my life. Think of all the ways that that belief is built into what we do every day. We have transport that can take us anywhere in the world 
in less than, almost less than a day. I mean, last year was not really the year for it, obviously, but it still exists. You can choose the temperature that you want to sit in and what degree, down to the degree that you would like it to be in order to be as comfortable as you, you could possibly be. We can choose the music that we want when we want, the clothes and food that we want, and we can have someone bring it to our door even on the same day that we decided we wanted it. We can watch whatever we want, when we want. You don't have to go to a video store anymore and get there and then be like, oh, there's no video behind the video, they're all out, for the three people who remember that. Whatever you want, when you want it, is there. You can have yourself surgically altered in order to correct your imperfections. You can have a headache and, and take a pill and it's gone. Even the last few weeks, I've had this, a toothache that I've had to go to the dentist for. And while I was aching at one point, and I was about to go and take some Nurofen and Panadol, because you can do them at the same time, different active ingredients, <laughs> I'm okay. But as I was going to do that, I, I thought, what did people do for the last of many thousands of years when they had a toothache? You know what you did? You sat there and you copped it. That was it. That was the only thing you could do. And there might be various sort of hack remedies, but now you can take a pill and it goes. And all of this builds into the belief that this is my life and I'm in control of it in a thousand little ways every day. What about the humanism? The idea that, my belief, that the belief that my potential is near endless and happiness is found in finding it and fulfilling it. I have a device in my pocket that means I can be in two places at once. I can network with multiple people at times. I can keep up with people on the other side of the world. I have a social media account that means I can have a near endless number of friends and connections. I have a car that means I can make it to two social events in a day, in an evening even, if I want to push it. I mean, just think for how long in human history that was not possible. But if you wanted to go to a wedding, that might be a week out of your whole schedule. I can drop off my three kids to different sports in different locations in the one day. I have a laptop, meaning I can work from home or in the car or wherever. All of this builds the belief that I have unlimited potential. And what about hedonism, the belief that I need to feel good all the time? In the city, you can. If I have an unpleasant thought or feeling, I don't have to tolerate it, process it, work through it. I can just open my phone and start scrolling and get a buzz. As soon as I feel bored, worried, upset, or just kind of funny, I can distract myself on social media, with a game, with a video, or go shopping, or do whatever to give myself some kind of a buzz to distract it. If I want some good food, or good coffee, or good alcohol, I can get it right now. If I want some new stuff, or just the buzz of buying something, I don't have to wait around. I don't have to go in a store and see if they've got it. I can get it straight away. I never have to feel bored. I never have to feel anxious. This builds in me the belief that I can feel good all the time. And once you believe all of these things together, you essentially are a secular person. Everything that is meaningful in life is found in the here and now. I never have to feel bad. Joy is found in fulfilling my complete potential. I don't need God in my life. I don't need some supernatural being. I don't need life everlasting. All that I need is here now. And John says, this is the worldview, a deception of Satan that is built up to keep people from believing the gospel. Because if you really hold these beliefs, they stand in complete opposition to the gospel. The gospel says, you have a deep need, sin, and you could not solve it yourself. You had to depend on the help of someone else in order to do that. 
Our potential is not limitless. We are sinful and broken. We are limited. We are finite. We are made. We are creatures who are made by our Creator. We did not make or rule ourselves. And in the end, we are accountable to someone, to a holy God who is not deceived and cannot be bought out. Satan says to, John says rather, that to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to overcome all of this. And you might be sitting here or listening in, you might be a skeptical person who's like, look, I don't know, the, the idea of like a supernatural being just sounds all a bit like mumbo jumbo. Isn't it the case that many of these beliefs that pervade our culture are the very things making us so miserable? Gen Z, it's recorded, are the loneliest and most anxious generation ever. The belief that I'm an autonomous individual is leading us to be an incredibly lonely and disconnected group of people. That we're not able to make the deep connections that come with being committed to other people because we are so concerned about being an autonomous individual. The idea that I need to feel good all the time means we're prone to addiction, we're unable to persevere with the really meaningful things in life, and we're unable to push past things that are difficult yet rewarding. The belief that my potential is unlimited sucks all the joy out of life because even if you're enjoying things right now, you're always haunted by the thought that maybe I could do this better. Maybe I could optimize this. Maybe the person I'm with is holding me back. Maybe the job I'm in isn't actually the fullest expression of my authentic true self. And so people are anxious, miserable, constantly on the move. Doesn't this sound like the design of a cruel and malicious being? These are extremely sophisticated and wide-reaching lies. And John said, this is the work of the enemy, what he calls the world. And the worst thing about it is these beliefs conspire to make the gospel sound implausible. Like this couldn't possibly be true. And yet it is, and it's what every soul needs. John says, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So his call is to look at Scripture and to know that when God commands you to do something, it is for your good and for his glory. And that those are not divergent ends. God's commands are not burdensome. God loves you and he tells you to do things. He says to do this or to not do that because he made you, he designed you, he saved you, he loves you, he sustains you, and he is the one who has ultimate authority and who can be trusted more even than ourselves. And so back to the question that started all of this, why is it that if you're a follower of Jesus who was born again, it can be so hard at times to obey certain commands of God? Well, if you are bathing yourself mindlessly in secular habits day in and day out, it will teach you, it will give you the feel that sometimes when God commands things, this doesn't feel like this could possibly be true or good. See, if you're engaging in habits that build the view that I'm in charge of my life, don't be surprised that when God says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, so honor God with your body, your sexuality. It's like, that feels almost like that couldn't be true. Or if in every day you're engaging in habits that build the view that you must feel good all the time, then when God says it is better to give than to receive, or forgive as Christ has forgiven you, it almost sounds like that couldn't possibly be true. That doesn't feel very good right now. The truth is that God loves us. His commands are good. 
and that when we really pay attention to the gospel, we understand that he has no other possible reason to command us other than that he loves us and made us to do so. And so I'd urge you that your resolution this year would be to redeem the word obedience. To know that for the follower of Jesus, it's our joy and our delight to obey Jesus. That if the gospel is fully true, as we say that it is, then it's not so much that we have to follow Jesus, but that we get to. I mean, even think of the words of one of his disciples. When it seems like Jesus is going to go away, and he says to Jesus, well, where else would we go when you alone have words of eternal life? That the heart of a follower of Jesus, when we really understand the gospel, is, Jesus, who else would I want to follow? When I understand how much Jesus has done for me, that he died for me, that he redeemed me, that not only my creator loves me, but even in my sin and rejection of him, he bought me back, who else would I want to follow? Who else would I want to be with? John Piper, a Bible teacher and preacher, who spent his life, he would say, uh, disseminating the biblical idea that he calls Christian hedonism. And he would sum it up in this way. He says that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. That is to say that our pursuit of ultimate and maximum joy and the pursuit of God are not divergent ends but the same end. That if you understand the gospel, that God loves you and made you, then to pursue him with all of your heart is the pursuit of fullest and most complete joy. And whilst at certain times it may seem counterintuitive, and Satan has set up lies to make it seem like this couldn't possibly be the way that we would find most joy, that it is true. And I pray that we would be a people this year who are resolved, pandemic or not, restrictions or not, to know that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. That our desire would be to obey him as fully as we possibly can, knowing that that's our deepest joy and calling. I remember when I first became a Christian, this was the belief that changed in me. As a, a kid in high school who went along to youth group and just barely tolerated it, I couldn't understand why it was that people would get so excited about going to church. But after I came to know Jesus personally, it was like the penny had dropped. And now I know, looking back on it, what actually happened, that it was the new birth, that it was God's Spirit working in me. But I finally understood and actually wanted to obey Jesus and wanted to follow him with my whole heart. And I've had my ups and downs in my Christian journey, as I imagine everyone in this room who's honest about it has. But it's still the case even 20 years later. Yeah, I'm, I'm that old. 20 years later, that I still want to love and follow Jesus. John's words are true. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They are a joy. Let's pray that we'd be a people who emanate that this year. Father God, just repent of the fact that so often we can buy into the lie of the enemy that you are somehow holding something back from us when you command us. That even as he did from the start, he is tempting us to think that you are withholding something. That you are the God who is stingy, who holds back from us joy and purpose. And yet we know the truth is that you love us with an everlasting love that we were made to give you glory and that to honour you with our whole lives is our deepest joy. So, Father, we pray that we wouldn't be deceived, 
And we pray that as a community that we would encourage one another, that as we see the Spirit at work in each of our lives, in following you, in obeying you, that would encourage us to press on. And Father, we pray that you would do this, not for our sake, but for your sake, not for our glory, but for yours, that as you are glorified, we might find deepest joy in you, and all for the sake of your name.